We return to our series in the book of Exodus. This is going to be our last week in Exodus for a while, as we're actually going to jump off for a summer series, what I call Church Reboot, and we'll explain that in the weeks to come. But we are in the 10th and final commandments. I want to direct your attention. We'll read in just a moment Exodus 20, 17 through verse 21. Let me remind you this morning <clears throat> that we are gathering here right now not because we don't have anything else to do. We're, we're gathering here this morning not so that we hope that other people driving by will see us. That's not why we're gathering. We're gathering here this morning not to earn enough points so that we might make it to heaven. We, we gather here this morning actually for purpose, on purpose, ultimately so that God is glorified and that the body of Jesus, you and I, are built up in strength and health. And we gather so the souls of mankind may find hope in the good news of Jesus. Why is this important? It's important because this week as I was having lunch, I was drinking my peach Snapple iced tea. And the Snapple fact under the cap reminded me of this. There's nine ways to get the first base in baseball. I won't list all nine, a hit, hit by a pitch, an hour, a walk. I was reminded that there's nine ways to get to first base, but there's only one way to get to heaven. That's why it matters why we gather here every single Sunday faithfully. We gather when we accept and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught and he said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. The way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Our gathering together this morning is to remind you, my prayer is that we would know the hard way that we are choosing to take. And it is hard today to follow Jesus. It is hard today to choose to walk in obedience and to live in holiness. But I want to remind you that choosing the hard way is well worth it. Be encouraged by that. We see that before us in this study through the book of Exodus. We have followed the nation of Israel. They are now at the base of Mount Sinai and God speaks up. He speaks close to them and he's teaching them, he's telling them, just like he's teaching and telling us how to love him first and foremost, but also he's teaching us how to love other people. That's what the mission, that's why we exist at Big Woods. Let me direct your attention to our text this morning, Exodus chapter 20. We pick it up in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. 
And when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It's a very familiar text. You shall not covet. And then there's this list here. I can honestly stand before you and I can tell you without any hesitation I have never coveted my neighbor's donkey before. And the odd thing is, is I actually have a neighbor that has a donkey. Just about a mile up the road behind our home, Scott and Joy Weaver. I know you're asking exactly the same question that I've asked. Why? Mary already rode into Bethlehem. They're cute is the answer that I'm always given. It's interesting that I've never really coveted my neighbor's donkey, but I have coveted my neighbor's boat before. There always seems to be something that grabs our attention that we look for and long for. That's what this commandment is about. And in this text, we actually start at the end. I want to remind you that follow, following the, the, the last commandment, the culmination of this declaration, there's a description of how people are afraid. And it even says because there's thunder and lightning and they don't have to be. Yes, it is a God who is all powerful, but it's also a God who is all loving. And these verses, these commandments point us to the fact that God is speaking to us and he's teaching us that you may not Sin. That's what God wants to teach us. So God actually wants to help us, not hurt us. This is helpful instruction for us this morning. You shall not covet. Covet means simply to lust or to strongly desire. It implies jealousy or envy. Shakespeare in his play, Anthony and Cleopatra, referred to it as the green sickness. In The Merchant of Venice, he used the term green-eyed jealousy. Today, I want us to be encouraged not to go green. This is the only commandment that it's repeated actually twice. Mentions the same instruction two times. And if there's any uncertainty as to what you should not covet, it actually mentions six specific things. And just if you still covet something that is your neighbor's after that list, the Lord concludes with, you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. I think the intentional emphasis here is intentional. The reason is this, we have a big problem with this particular commandment. This week I read Tony Moretti says this, this final commandment highlights the twisted desires of mankind and the sin of discontentment. Twisted desires. 
God has created us with desire, a desire to worship. God has created us with a desire to have purpose, a desire what, to hunger and to thirst, to have connection with others, protection from the elements. And yet these are twisted, they're distorted in dangerous and destructive ways. If contentment is being settled and satisfied, then discontentment is what? Is not being satisfied. So instead of being at peace with who you are, being at peace with where you are and what you have, then you're always longing, looking for, and we could even say lusting, for more and more and more. We were together last week and we spoke of the importance of being thankful to God, being grateful for all the blessings and the good things he's given to us. And if we're grateful, then we're less likely to steal. If we're grateful to God for all of his blessings, we're less likely to lie. This commandment actually builds upon that and it deals with what's inside of us, our inner desires, which may or may not lead to an act. But the tragedy is, is even if we don't act on it, what? Because it's inside, it's still wrong. The reason is our focus, our attention, and our desire must be on God who made us and blessed us and redeemed us. So coveting is not only what breaking the last commandments. Coveting actually breaks the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Nothing should be more important to you than God himself. Let me dive into five ways that you cannot go green. Number one is this, and I know it's not on the screen in front of you, but you can still write it down, you can still remember it. Number one, check your heart. You know how you do this once in a while, like you check your pulse, you check your pulse. I want you, number one, to check your heart. When Jesus was teaching his disciples, he said this in Luke chapter 12. We need to remember. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember this, our heart's affections will follow that which we treasure. That's the reason that just before that, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said this. He quoted Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. In essence, Jesus is saying what? Check your heart to make sure that the Lord is the most important. If the Ten Commandments are a matter of the heart, the Tenth Commandment, it cuts right to it. The Tenth Commandment cuts deep. Back to my neighbor with the boat. Why is it that for some reason when it's hot out, that I see my neighbor drive by in his boat? The same people that own the donkey, I ask permission, okay? The same people that own the donkey own the boat. Hot day this past week, and I see, or last week, and I see them drive by, and I'm like, oh my, it must be, they just came back from the lake. Oh, it must be so wonderful to have a boat. You know, there's always a story behind the story, like there's a back story. And what's interesting is that as I'm like, wow, look at my neighbor's boat, they're actually returning from the lake, disgusted because their boat just broke down in the middle of the lake. They actually had to be rescued after floating around for an hour and had to be towed in the shore. They don't want a boat. And yet, 
I look at something, we look at something. If only, if only, how we what covets someone else's gifts or ability, someone else's voice and ability to sing or play an instrument. How we covet someone else's success, apparent ease of life. Why is it so easy for them and so hard for us? This morning, in place of living and longing for that which we do not have, the Apostle Paul teaches and writes this in Philippians chapter 4, to be settled and to be satisfied with what you do have. So, so don't even look out there. Think for a moment at what God has blessed you with, at who God has made you to be. The Apostle Paul, when writing to his dear friends, he encouraged them in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, and he says this. He just gives quick instructions. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious. Be thankful for everything. Pray about everything. Guard your hearts, he says. Guard your hearts and your minds. And he says, God will give you peace. And then what he, he does is that he builds upon that, and he actually shares his own testimony. And he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned, I have learned in every situation that I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, how we hear that last verse all the time, taken out of context, because Paul's actually saying, I can do all things, what, knowing that I have been brought low, knowing that life has been hard. First thing this morning, where's your heart? What's in your heart, rather than looking for and looking at, if only I had, look at what you already have. Number two, don't feed the greed. Galatians 5 describes a battle with inside of you, inside of me. It's a battle, a war, between the flesh and the spirit. Years ago, I was taught to view this battle as two dogs that are fighting. Whichever dog you feed will win the battle. Whichever dog you feed will be stronger than the other and it will win. Likewise, if you feed greed, it will dominate your life. Now, fortunately, you and I know that we have been blessed. We have been blessed just looking around us. We have been blessed by God's goodness. We live in a society where we have incredible, unprecedented opportunity. We could even say, in comparison to the rest of the world, we live in opulence. However, we also live in a society that has mastered the idea, literally millions upon millions upon millions of dollars are spent on convincing you to just click and add to your cart. And we buy this and we fall for this all of the time. We were looking for some paint recently and it was interesting to notice that the, the name of the paint was Tempting Turquoise. I don't even like turquoise, but for some reason, I want it. 
There's something inside of us. We can push back from a meal absolutely stuffed at a restaurant. And then they say, would you like some dessert? And you're like, I'm stuffed. But let me see the dessert menu. I printed one off recently. Think about this. How convincing. It doesn't matter how full you are. Listen to the fact that they can bring you some caramel apple gold rush with sweet sliced cinnamon apples tossed with butter and brown sugar baked into a golden pastry shell served warm with vanilla ice cream and bourbon caramel and raspberry sauces. I'll take two of them. It's that easy for us. We gotta be careful not to fall for this, not to feed the greed. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with working hard, okay? But if you're working hard, dad, so that you can win the all expense paid hunting trip to Montana, if you're working hard, mom, to win the pink Cadillac from Mary Kay, rather than spending time with your family and with your children, then you're, you're suffering from the disease. As Shakespeare would say, the green disease. You're suffering from greed. It's a problem. Greed is identified or defined as intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Again, Jesus had much to say on this. In the same chapter, in Luke chapter 12, he says, take care. How about this phrase, and be on your guard. An interesting phrase, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So I read in the ESV, the NIV, New American Standard, the TSV, all translate it as greed. Be on guard against all greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. There's no satisfaction there's no satisfaction, there's no happiness or joy that's gonna come when you have to consistently and constantly click and add to your cards. Number three, remember this, more stuff does not equal more happiness. More stuff does not mean more happiness. Patrick Sasson wrote recently, what, that the biggest the fastest growing business in America for a number of years has been the self-storage business. Despite the fact that we have closets and we have basements and we have garages, self-storage warehouses for personal junk, get this, have become a $38 billion a year industry. One out of 11 Americans are paying on average $91 a month to store more junk because you don't have enough space in your house. Now this goes all the way back to the garden since we are prone what to think that if something looks good, we want it. I think the fruit on the tree probably looked pretty good. I think the serpent probably looked pretty good. The description of the serpent is what he was more cunning or more crafty than any other beast. And Adam and Eve listened to the whispering lies of the serpent so that they would focus not on everything that they already have, but they would focus on the one thing that they do not have. 
And what's interesting here is what? It's beauty that entices. And notice as well, this is God-created beauty. There's nothing wrong with something being beautiful, but what's wrong is if you focus on that rather than what you actually have. <clears throat> it says that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and desires to make one wise. And what? Satan used that to tempt. So they take something that is not theirs to take. Later on, the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a king whose name is Solomon who not only desired more, but he actually got more than anyone else. And he admits in a constant search, listen to his own testimony. I made great works. I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, I made myself pools for which to water the forest of growing trees. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings. I became so great, surpassed all who are before me. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing it, and behold, here's the summation. All was vanity. And striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I think there's a lesson that says, does it matter how much you look for and you seek to get? It's not going to satisfy. Don't feed the greed. Number four, see all the blessings that God has already given to you. Now, first and foremost, we know that there is no greater blessing than the ultimate blessing of redemption. Being freed from the curse of sin and death through the gift of salvation that is offered by grace through faith in the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but think how much more the greatest blessing is salvation. How much more does God actually give to you? James chapter 1 describes that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and shadow due to change. Do you ever pause and just stop on that one word, every, every good thing? You remember, it wasn't that long ago, we were sequestered to our homes. We were not able to worship together. And so I sought diligently to keep in contact with the body of believers at Big Woods. And I was writing a, a word from Pastor Tim on a daily basis. You probably don't remember this, but on April the 24th, I wrote this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. My dear Big Woods family, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoicing, praying, thanking. There's so much to these three words, but today I want to think of the word thanks. Think of the many, many things that God in his grace has given you to be thankful for. 
the ability to see trees blossoming and flowers blooming, the ability to hear sounds, beautiful music, voices, birds, the ability to smell the spring air during April showers, dinner being cooked, a candle or perfume, the ability to move your head, your hands, go for a walk or a run or a ride, the ability to taste fresh bread and strawberries and potato chips. God, God did not have to give us any of these things, but he wanted to bless us with many gifts so that we would see the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God gave us these things so that we would thank him. And oh, how the list is long of things we can be thankful for. The seasons, bear with me. Rain, sunshine, clouds, stars, mountains, hills, Trees, green grass, books, words, spices, sugar, ice cream, coffee, friends, lawn chairs, bikes, bike trails, brooks and rivers and kayaks and fish and deer and woods and grills and campfires and lemonade and hot dogs and hot chocolate and songs and stories and memories, a promise, a garden, an ark. A family, a mountain, a cave, a temple, a city, a manger, a wilderness, a beach, a well, a leper, a blind man, a field, a little boy's lunch, a storm, another garden, a sword, a cross, a tomb, a hill, a throne, a flame, a word, the word, forgiveness, hope, unconditional love. Life, heaven, glory, peace, grace, grace, and more grace. Tonight and tomorrow, remember to give thanks in all circumstances. Trust him and rest well with much love. That's what we have to be reminded of. See all the things, all the blessings that God has already given you. Fifth and finally, remember your father knows exactly what you need. This last command teaches us about God, about his faithfulness, his goodness, and his provision, that there is absolutely no need to ever worry about your provisions. There's no need to desire to have other people's stuff because our heavenly father knows our needs, and he knows our deepest longings and cravings. Back to Luke chapter 12. Jesus spoke on this much, and he says this, Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God the Father desires to give you the kingdom, oh, there is a kingdom to be had that is not of this world. Which brings us to the greatest need of all time. Charles Sell wrote, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. So this morning, learn, learn. We, 
We are not to covet. You shall not covet. But upon the authority of Scripture, I'm telling you this, there is no need for you to covet. Don't covet because there is no need for it. God has already given you everything and more than you could ever long for in offering us his own son to suffer and die so that you may live and live more abundantly. Please see, these, these commandments, they're, they're not just a list of rules. They are a reflection of who God is. And we should praise him for that. We should thank him and say alongside of the psalmist, what, how I love your instruction. It is my meditation all the day long. So as we finish up and we part to our homes that we have been blessed with, pause on these. Pause on these commandments. Pause specifically when you see something drive by that says, wow, I would love to have, and, and don't even go there. Don't turn green with envy, but see the blessings that God has given to us because he loves you and he desires the very best. And he promises, he promises with him there is never, ever, ever a lack. There is never a need. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for this scripture, this promise. Father, we thank you that although scripture can be hard at times to hear, that you remind us of where we need to focus, of who we need to focus on. And so our prayer together as a local church is that we would see you we wouldn't see other people. We wouldn't see other people's stuff and, and long for that. But we would, we would see you and all the blessings that you've given to us. And may, Lord, we live in complete contentment and peace at who you are. May we accept who we are, where you've placed us, and what you've blessed us with. So that we are examples to others of what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus, even if... And when the way is tough, the road is hard. Thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in your creation. Bless us as we go. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.